My name is Matt Clem, also known as Zor. I'm Ken Arsenal, Reverend Slippery. And uh, this is the Cashers Corner podcast. So for today, uh, we are live at the Mega. Feels weird talking to you across the table. I'm not used to that. Usually we're a lot closer to each yeah, other. Yeah, usually we're sitting, sitting in my basement recording this. Um, so what we're going to do is, uh, if you've ever listened to the Cashers Corner before, then you know what to expect. But I'm sure some of you are not familiar with it, haven't heard it before. Um, so what we kind of do is we just go through our regular uh, schedule. We're not going to do anything too obscure today. Um, you can see my screensaver. I did have the agenda up there. Um, but basically what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about mega events. And uh, we have ourselves uh, a few geocaching reviewers that we're going to uh, be doing a little bit of a Q&A. So before we get started and we dive right into this, when we do get to the Q&A, I mean, this is, this is a family show. We have this uh, podcast aired on the internet, and it is uh, listened to many different people in different parts of the world. So I know that uh, sometimes we can get a little frustrated with our cash reviewers. Um, uh, but if you do have questions, you are welcome to come up here um, and ask a question. We'll ask you to come down and use the mic here and ask. Um, but keep it civil, folks. I mean, this is a family show. I know that you can get a little upset, but we're, I'm sure everybody here is, uh, you know, sane enough to uh, ask decent questions and treat us all like, uh, let us all have a great, good old time, all right? Oh, yeah. Well, they're going to get out with the swords here later, and uh, we're going to get right to it. So, uh, we're at the Mega. How's it feel to be at the Mega? Let's hear a round of applause. I'm having a good time. Today's actually my wedding anniversary, so I have to thank my wife. She's up patiently waiting somewhere for me. But uh, this is great. It's my third one. I haven't been to any Woodstocks, but it's my third mega. And so what are the other megas you've been to? By far the best one I've been to. What, what was the other ones you've been uh, to? 2008 Quebec City, and the uh, one down in Bridgewater in 2010, the first Maritime Mega, which I, I really shouldn't say I didn't enjoy because I was there for 20 minutes. <laughs> But uh, this one is just incredible. Yeah, it, it really I, was. You know, big, big, uh, big hats off to the Maritime Mega Committee for doing this. I mean, it's the first mega in New Brunswick. Let's give a big round. I thought we got person right here, Tree Hugger. So we'll point her out and make her feel a little embarrassed. Uh, she's the big, uh, the big person that kicked off the process. And uh, myself and Ken and Cash of New Brunswick, we, we've tried our uh, our best to participate in any way we can. And uh, I think it's been fantastic. I've been to a, I've been to a few more megas. I've been to a couple of Geo Woodstocks. Um, and I mean, this is run just like any of those. I mean, this might as well be you know maritime Woodstock for geocachers, as far as I'm concerned. Really, really well put together. Um, so if this is your first mega event that you have attended here, uh, then you've really, gotten, uh, you've really gotten a taste for what it's like to come to these larger events uh, where you get tons and tons of cashers and meet all kinds of interesting people. That's always an interesting uh, case. Um, so part of our typical lineup that we do when we do our, our podcast is uh, so we usually talk about recent events and caches. Uh, just to briefly mention things that have been going on. Um, so as per usual, um, we got Arby's, so I, anybody here that knows me knows that I eat, I eat at Arby's all the time and I have a history with that from my days of singing in a band, which I think some of you saw me mimicking earlier today. Um, and so I do a little, uh, a little lunch event at Arby's in Moncton. Um, and we had the Sunfest event in Riverview, which, Ken, you want to talk about the coins and how that went? Again, that went uh, extremely well, better than we thought, uh, had 100 coins. <laughs> And by, the caches came out Friday afternoon, and by Saturday afternoon there was three left, and the rest were gone Sunday morning. So it went 
quickly. A lot of people were upset they didn't get one, but we can't make one for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, for the SunFest program, you know, geocache challenge, go out and grab six caches, and, uh, and then you get a coin, and yeah, that was burnt through 93 by the time I had left, and you said 97. About 70 at the event, people that came, and then other people got coins later. Yeah. So we're going to do it again in the fall and again in the winter, try to get more coins, so make your way down to Riverview. I know some of you will be there. I can see some faces <laughs> I know will be there. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, there was a, an event at Mar Mount Carlton. Uh, that I didn't get a chance to get to. Did anybody here get to the Mount Carlton event recently? It was up in there here. Anyone? No? Maybe? No, I guess not. All right, so we'll just assume it went really, really well. I believe it did, yes, yeah. from what I've heard. It did go pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to see another event up there. Uh, there was also, I know I saw uh, Superwife and Evil C. They had a CEDO in Moncton, uh, which apparently was some other... Some big deal going on in the Mapleton Park. They joined in with the city doing other programs, so there was uh, games for kids and bouncy castles and a beer tent and all kinds of stuff at the seat. It was awesome. Okay. Well, I should have gone. Well, that makes a lot more sense than hearing that and thinking that they, you know, they got all that stuff just for their seat. Okay. Um, and so we always talk about recent caches that have been published. Um, so I'm sure some of these names are familiar to these three, at least in some regards. Um, and I made the list short this time. I didn't have a lot of names. Um, but the first name is a guy that anybody that listens to Cash's Corner is kind of a running joke. So, Rav, you want to mention his name? Gray Beast. Gray Beast. Gray Beast is always publishing caches. The man is a machine. I have no idea how he's able to, uh, to do that. You guys must see his name quite a bit, or at least you know, maybe, maybe you do. <laughs> you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. I haven't met you, so you are cash tag. Oh well, nice to meet you, cash tag. So those listening, that's okay. You know, pull up a chair, have a seat. We're all set to go here. Um, Misha, Monpa, CC Trekkers, Ranger One Seventy, Sergeant Pick, and I'm sure I've missed names, but usually I just Maritime think. Mega. Maritime Mega. Yeah. They put they, up thirty, I think it was. Yes, yes, a whole pile of caches. Um, and a whole series of, uh, of side events and satellite events that went on over the last couple of days. Uh, kayaking event and bowling and all kinds of other cool stuff that's been going on, uh, which is pretty cool. So uh, lots and lots of cash is always coming out. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to dive into our monthly topic. And really we've got two topics today that we're going to talk about, just mega uh, events in general, um, and as well as the reviewer panel. So are you guys in a rush to go anywhere? Not one bit. Not one bit? <laughs> okay, so if that's the case, so we'll, uh, we'll have a little chat. If you guys want to chime in on some mega stuff, if you've had the opportunity to, uh, to go to some megas, we can, uh, we can talk, you guys can talk about that, and then we'll get into uh, talking about all the things that you guys do. Um, so mega event. This is our first here in New Brunswick. Um, just by looking at the people in the audience here, how many here have been to a mega before this event? Okay, okay, well, here we go. So we got a good amount of people here in the audience, probably about half or so, two-thirds to a half in there somewhere. So what's the big deal, Ken, about megas? Why are they such a big deal? All the work that goes into them, I guess. What work? I don't know. <laughs> we didn't ask Natalie to come up to the table today, and we won't, but... Uh, it takes a year to plan one of these things, at least. You think? Yeah. You can't just plan it over a weekend? Well, you could, but it would end up like some others I've been to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there have, been, uh, there have been a few of those, I'm afraid. Um, you guys have anything to, to talk about your experiences with Megas? Anything you want to uh, chime in on? Give it to him. 
So, um, Cash Shadow, uh, the group I work with in Ontario, which is called Central Ontario Geocaches, we've hosted four megas now in a row. And I've been to the block party, I've been to the, to the Lost and Found event, the Ground Speak, I've been to the Cache Megas. Every single one is different. And every one that I go to, I get something from that event that either helps me pass on to the next team that I work with or my own team. And uh, it's great. I think the push that people enjoy is they know they're going to bump into people from all over the world. And they know they're going to be lots of strange license plates in, in the parking lot. They know it's going to be trackables galore. Uh, and Signal makes an appearance now and again. But it, it's been more about networking and a lot more about finding out the way that people uh, play the game differently. So the geocache of bingo game that you played today where you bumped into strangers, that's something that I've encountered at most megas and that seems to really break down the barriers so you all can get out and cash together or look at the seminars that are being held and I think that's really where the, the plus is. The really great thing about megas, it's a socialization and Finally, see what you people are like and get to know your personalities more than just through the computer screen. But uh, it's, it's great, too, getting out of the province and seeing how other areas geocache. It's very easy when you ge only geocache in your local area to get very familiar with your bubble. But going and traveling to different megas, geocaching is different in different areas. It's always fun to experience that and see it as well. Cool. Yeah, one thing she mentioned just now is your geocaching bubble, and I look up and I see half of these people five times a year. At our, we're very social here in the Brunswick, we do do a lot of events, mm -hmm. and some of them I see twice a year, some once a year, some I've never seen. So uh, it's another event for me because I've gone to so many <coughs> events, and I love the events. I've been to well over a hundred. So maybe it's not so big in New Brunswick because we are so social here, and maybe some other places. I've heard other cashers say, we really have events. It's been two years since there's been an event in our town. That's yeah. sad. It, it, it is sad. So it's, maybe it's not as big for everybody here. It is big mm -hmm. because we see each other all the time. Yeah. But that's so the we, fun thing is when you get yeah. to see each other again. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But yeah. The, the, when you mentioned bubble, made me think we do have a huge bubble in Brunswick, and we all know each other so well. And it's nice to see the people from Nova Scotia and Quebec and stuff, and you guys. And it's cool when you get outside of your bubble and you travel to the states or you've traveled to different outside of the maritime provinces, just seeing it's completely different and different techniques and ideas. Well, that, that's the thing for me. That I, I find with a, uh, a mega event or, or any event for that matter, it's, it's the collection of people getting together and, and sharing information that, that they can't readily do on their own. If you're just a solo cash or you just go with a couple of people, you're, you're in, in a, a very narrow you're thinking, how do I do, how do I find, how do I solve, how do I work out? And when you get a group together like this, especially at Omega, where you can have a class on GSAC or a class on, here's a good way to make a, a multi-cache. You're sharing that information with each other. It spreads out and it makes geocaching better in a much larger dynamic area. Cool. So I think, you know, I think everybody here is already kind of gotten a hint and feel for what megas are all about. I mean, it, it, it is a, an event, a regular old geocaching event. It's just on steroids, really. It's, it's really, really big, lots of things going on. Um, I know I enjoyed the sessions. I mean, I, I had to deliver a couple myself, but I, I, I mean, that's what I do for a living, but I, I love to, to share that and my knowledge of geocaching and my experiences about geocaching. And, and it's, it's really, really cool to hear all the, uh, all the different little 
stories that people have to say and, and things they've done, places they've been. Uh, I can't count how many people came to ask me if I could sign their bingo sheet because I'd done the ape cash. And so it's, it's you know, just all this, you know, being able to talk to people you would never see any other way. I mean, I, I live in Moncton and, and Ken, Ken's from, well, we're both from Riverview. And it's, uh, yeah, of course, even at the mega, your phone goes off, just like every other podcast we have. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we, we tend to, I tend to spend a lot of time at, at Moncton events, and sometimes it can be, you kind of get stuck in your own little world, and it, it really, really is nice to come to something like this where it's, it's larger, a little bit more alive, and more people that are uh, interacting. Um, so I guess, I mean, everybody here's probably kind of been to a handful of events already and, and knows what events are all about. So one of the things about Mega is it really is, everything is bigger. I don't know if I would say better, but a lot of times it's bigger and better. Um, but it is a lot of the same kinds of things we see, but with more to it. I mean, if you talk things like just the travel bugs alone, that's an interesting thing that I, I noticed going to some of these Mega events where they have these... I didn't spend much time in the tent here, but, you know, the big tables and where it's all sorted and with tagged and, and where's the missions and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's interesting to see how just something like... you a dirty look right now. <laughs> <laughs> you said you'll never move one again. No. <laughs> well, the other thing with, with Omega is also that it, it seems that it gives you an opportunity to hands-on stuff with some of the, the vendor wares that they have. Because it, it's great to be able to shop online and whatnot, but when you can come to a, a mega event, there's vendors there, and you can look at the stuff, and you go, okay, I really get a feel for this. And, and it, it generates more excitement about those items as well than just going, oh, that looks kind of cool online. Yeah, whatever. No, no, you see that, and you touch that item, and you go, yeah, that would be cool. I can use this to make a such and such. And, and that's why a, a mega event has more to it than an event because there's special things that, that don't happen at your day-to-day -day monthly gatherings that happen here. Like search and rescue and an ambulance out front. <laughs> <laughs> Even just the amount of games you guys have out in the field for the kids and the children's activities and stuff like that and getting cash thrown in the dunk tank. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> I like that. Um, warm enough. I should have gone to the tank myself. Um, okay, so we've kind of talked a little bit about megas and so forth. So uh, I think what I would like to do, because our, 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 our reviewers that we have here, um, they, they've taken the time out of their busy caching schedule, I'm sure, and, and publishing schedule that they have uh, to come to talk to everybody here. So what I would like to do is I'd like to give um, each of the reviewers that are here a moment to kind of introduce themselves, uh, talk about you know, who they are, their, a little bit about their geocaching history and how they got into reviewing, and, and so on and so forth. So we can, uh, then we can kind of open it up to questions and go from that. So I'll pass it down. Hi, my name's Allison. I feel like I'm at an AA meeting just as I grab the mic and say that. That's not good. Um, my name's Allison. My caching handle is Hidden Seek. My reviewer name is Cash Viewer. I am from the Ottawa area. Originally, I'm from Vancouver, and then I moved to Ottawa for school, and it was kind of nice and cheaper than Vancouver, so I stuck around. I tend to travel a lot. This is, I think, my fifth time actually in Fredericton. I, we've been out here with the kids and visiting, and this time I left them at home so I can concentrate on you guys. <laughs> I've been caching since 2005. I started, I hosted my first event in 2006. It was a geocoin event because the area was looking to do, uh, make a geocoin, and so we got people together so that we can discuss it and get ideas and, and everything. Hi, Signal, nice to see you. <laughs> 
Um, which was great because when we did our GeoCoin event, people got together and we all realized, hey, we really like that. And we ended up going to monthly events. And then we realized at monthly events we needed to have a space to do and talk about issues and, and help people out. So we ended up going to monthly workshops as well, which I think drove our reviewer kind of nuts at the time. I became a reviewer in 2009. Uh, I kind of joke that I, at that time, I knew Cash Drone and I knew Cash Tech and Cash Agent, and I was friends with them online and chatted with them. I went on vacation to the Maritimes, and I didn't tell them I was leaving, and I wasn't around, <laughs> and they missed me, apparently, and then tortured me by bringing me on board. Um, and that's how I started, and I'm really enjoying it now. I've been reviewing in Ontario, and then just recently I've stepped over to uh, help out in Nova Scotia there. I'll pass this now on to uh, Roy. Hi, so I'm Roy. My caching name is RCA777, review name Cashado. Uh, I've been reviewing now for, I think, a couple of years and started caching in 2007. Um, my brother had found a little card inside a GPS he'd bought and wanted me to drive him and my Jeep down a long 4x4 trail to find a plastic box, which seemed like a pretty good idea to go down a 4x4 trail. <laughs> so I went along, found my first cache, and the rest is history. Um, I work in the Ontario community. I'm in the Newmarket area, just about 45 minutes north of Toronto, and I'm a director of Central Ontario Geocaches. We're actually a non-profit, and we host monthly events, and we host the megas every year. Um, also, one or two of you may have seen geocaching license plates from Ontario cars in the parking lot. Uh, well, I had that brainwave and uh, worked with the Ontario government. I wrote them a check for $16,000 and I bought 200 plates and I begged people to buy them from me. <laughs> so now if you're in Ontario, you can buy geocaching license plates just at the regular uh, MTO office. Um, as far as my history, I like to find caches that are older or classic caches, so I've done my Jasmine grid, I've traveled to Kansas, we found Mingo, I go to the block party every year. I try and do as many things as I can to be social within the game, not necessarily concentrate on my number of finds, and uh, really enjoy every minute of it. So I'll pass you on to Colin. Oh, he can use the other one. Okay, I got it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I'm Cash Drone. I started reviewing back in 2006, 2007, something like that, when uh, Cash Tech was uh, finding that Ontario was getting a little bit too unruly and too big to uh, keep on top of. So, uh, he did something to me. <laughs> and uh, I, I agreed to come on board. Um, let's see, I started uh, under my player account of the Blue Quasar. I started in 2001, and the first page, as you probably know, when you say show ca closest caches to home, you get the closest 20. Um, back then, there was so few caches that the number 20th cache was 75 kilometers from my house. So it's like, Huh. Today, um, the, the cache that was closest to my house that day doesn't even make the first two pages now. So it's, it's just grown so vastly in that time. Sorry about that. And uh, anyway, um, so uh, why I became a reviewer was, well, um, I worked with the, the Parks Canada group to get uh, the ban on caches at Parks Canada locations reversed. And uh, I, I guess somehow Sean felt that I was a good fit because I was really championing the idea of, no, geocaching is great, you want to bring people to your parks, you guys are wrong, this is a travesty. So, uh, we, you know, once we got that fixed, um, and, and 
I was pretty heavily involved with waymarking at the time, which yes, I know, it's not all that exciting, I get that. But um, you know, I was really positive in promoting that one because I thought it was a good replacement, so that's how Sean, I guess, thought, ah, he seems really helpful, let's bring him on board. Uh, as for what I like in geocaching, just, just like Roy, I, I like going around to different states and provinces, picking up the oldest in there. Um, I've got my Jasmine grid as well, and I've found a cache in every state east of the Mississippi River. So, yeah, it's it, my wife doesn't go with me, and I'm sure she's just thrilled that I go off so often <laughs> to do this stuff. But uh, And what did you two do this weekend before you came here? Oh, yeah, we, we went through uh, all 15 counties of New Brunswick to find a cache in each one of those. Uh, and on the way, we happened to go and get the oldest cache in Canada in Nova Scotia and then over to PEI to get the oldest one there. So we did that over two days. That was 2,000 kilometers of driving. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, my gig. Yeah. Hey. Hey, Sean. Yeah. Oh, and, and Isabel, too. Hello, I'm Isabel. I'm uh, the Red Earth Witch, and my reviewer name is the Cash Witch. I'm a reviewer for Quebec, so if you have any questions in French, je peux aussi répondre en français. I started geocaching in 2004. I've been a reviewer for two years now. Um, other things I do, I'm by trade a chemical engineer, a patent examiner. I also do other volunteer. I'm a member of a search and rescue group in Ottawa, Gatineau. And uh, somehow I ended up president of the Orienteering Federation for Quebec. So, <laughs> It's all navigation stuff, basically. I'm not allowed to get lost in the woods at all. <laughs> it would be very shameful. Um, in, uh, in Quebec, we have uh, two other members of the team, reviewers. We have cash expert and cash action. So we have three reviewers for a province that has almost as many caches as Ontario. Takes us four to do what you do with three. <laughs> yeah. A couple yeah. backups. A couple backups, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more hidden somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been enjoying the ride of reviewing, we see lots of interesting stuff, and uh, there's lots of interesting colleagues to work with, and we, we do get to chat online also with all the reviewers from all over, and we get to discuss issues, and some things are very different from one region, or even one, one province to another, and one country to another, certainly. Other things are global issues. We get to put our minds together and try to find solutions. Well, I go by the caching name of Sean and Holly, and I review as Cash Tech. My wife, who is up with the kids, is Cash Agent. Uh, we uh, discovered geocaching at about the same time, and uh, we found our first cache in uh, Camelton in 2001 on uh, New Year's Eve. Been kind of hooked ever since. Um, We've had, I started reviewing in July of, June of 2003. So, 2000, yeah, 2003, it's been 10 years. And my wife in 2004. So she's been reviewing for nine years. And uh, pretty well reviewed all of Canada. Right to now I just review Atlantic Canada with, uh, with my wife. Um, we love to get out caching, we love to come out and meet people. We wish we could get out this way more, but uh, employment hasn't uh, been too cooperative lately. And um, we just love to get out and meet people. Cool. Well, uh, 
Well, uh, welcome to uh, the Cashers Corner and welcome to the, uh, the Maritime Mega. So, um, I'm going to kind of open and start with uh, some questions. So, if you guys are ready to, uh, to answer and uh, hear, hear all the good stuff. Uh, Time so, to go! <laughs> i got to run! <laughs> yeah, I've got a thing here. Um, so, I think what we can do is, we'll just, I have some questions that I had uh, written out and going to kind of talk a little bit about those um, and there's I think what we'll do is we'll open it up to the audience a little bit afterwards and if there's anybody that's a question you can come on down and uh, somebody can can take the question so um, so I'll go through this uh, and see how it uh, comes out so I guess one of the things that uh, a lot of these questions are going to be questions that people are going to be curious about anyway which is why they're on this list um, but I'll start with so how do you determine what caches you, you review versus someone else are you assigned by province or region or and are those the only ones that you can actually review as far as the caches are concerned? Uh, technically, we each have our own region that we do, and some of us will share different regions. Uh, we also have covered for other reviewers in other territories. Uh, I think many of us have published a cache in different provinces when people are away, and even different countries working with other reviewers. Out of respect, though, you typically stay out of another reviewer's area simply because sometimes there's things you're not completely aware of or uh, um, property issues or park issues. So the reviewers for those areas typically know those things better than others. I have a quick question on that too or somebody else can answer. When I submit or we submit a cache, does it just go into a big pool and you guys go and pick it out or does it go directly to you? How does that work? Okay, well actually how it works is very similar to how you guys work. It you go on and you say search for a cache, let's say by your house, and it shows you everything. After you do like a pocket query, you can filter them out. We have the same ability. We can say filter to only show caches in New Brunswick, or only show caches in New Brunswick, PEI, um, Nova Scotia, and we can actually just pick which territories we want to see, and we'll just show those ones. So it really comes down to we can be as selective as we need to be. We can see the whole world if we want to, but there's no point to be overwhelming. And that's what you're going through. That's not for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. So it, it certainly helps by having a. It, it certainly helps. In the old days, apparently they just all went into a big pile and went all in one big list, and you look through and you look for your problems. So it's very simple now for us to say, I think you guys like state 67 or whatever, and then boom, up it comes, and away we go. Um, so, maybe you can talk a little bit about your the relationship that the reviewers have with Groundspeak. Because obviously, you know, you, you have a, a further level of, uh, I don't want to say intimacy, but you have a deeper relationship with geocaching.com and the Groundspeak staff because you are reviewers, so you're given a little bit more of that. I'm going to get you to hang on to that since okay. you guys can just pass it anyway. Um, if you kind of want to talk a little bit, I mean, do you, do you communicate with them? Do they give you guidelines? Do you... Do the reviewers influence anything that may change on the website itself? Do you want to kind of talk about that at all? So essentially when players contact Groundspeak and give them ideas, Groundspeak listen. It's the same with us, but obviously we have a slightly quicker route to get to their ears. Groundspeak support us because they want to support the game. They realize that we are the eyes and ears for the communities that we uh, represent through our reviewing. Um, as far as, as changing things like guidelines or approaches or wording in the listing guidelines, any feedback that we have as players or anything that we see, we have a, a venue and a forum where we can actually express those to Groundspeak. And because all of the reviewers across the world 
have the same form, they can pile on and say, yeah, you know what, that's a good idea. We should maybe reword this or reword that approach, and which and that is how changes occur. But they still we, take time. It still takes time. Um, two reasons. Having the input from community saying the same <coughs> things as us just really bolsters the message. And the other one is GroundSpeak, geocaching.com, it is a website, and they do go through controls. Um, obviously, if they make a change to the back-end code makes a website work, and they, oops, they've affected how many hundreds of thousands of people. So they go through all sorts of controls and checks and balances, so a small change might take some time to go through the red tape just to make sure it is checked and balanced. So it's never immediate, um, but... They, they do listen, but they need to get the feedback from us and from you to make, make things happen. Yeah, and sometimes we'll <coughs> notice things, new things coming out that cashers are doing by going to events and through reviewing and listening and talking to you, and we, we will, you know, kind of talk to them through that way as well, and, and uh, or issues and stuff, as Roy said. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to actually ask the audience a question because I think what you, you made the suggestion earlier and I think this is a really interesting one. So the question I have actually here, it says, how long does it take to review a typical regular geocache listing? So the question I'm going to pose to the audience is, how long do you think it takes them to review a single cache listing? Does anybody want to take a, a stab at that? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. So we say one listing at ten minutes. Anybody else? Less than 30 minutes. 15. Less 15, 30 minutes. Okay, anyone else? Three minutes. <laughs> Three minutes, two minutes. Okay. So, and how, many, and how many do you think a reviewer would go through in the course of an evening? I mean, how many do you think they actually see come through? 50 per week. 50 per week, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Ontario has four reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> so, any, any other takers on that one? 2,000. 2,000, okay, all right. Anyone else? 100 a day. 100 a day, okay. So how about we, uh, we pose the question back to you guys about what the kind of volume you see um, and the process that you actually go through for reviewing and how long it takes. Because I think many people, I mean, people realize that the reviewers do a lot of work that they have to go through these caches, but I don't really think people have uh, insight into the time that's required to do it. So why don't you talk about that a little? Uh, in Ontario, there is a couple hundred caches a week. In the summer, it could be upwards of three, four hundred easily. The winter, it's nice and quiet at about a hundred. I've been doing Nova Scotia, and I've seen a quiet week of about 50 and a busy week of you know, 200 when you guys have a contest or something going on or <laughs> events coming out. Um, and because of that, we typically, we don't review each night. We, uh, we've got a couple days to review, so we'll kind of wait for myself. I'll wait until there's enough meat there to kind of sit down and do it uh, a few at a time. The fastest way to get your cash through the review process, know the guidelines, <laughs> don't have a proximity issue and explain a lot in the reviewer note that tends to move things along much quicker because otherwise there's lots of times where we're sending things back and forth and uh, if it's a quick and easy one and everything is by the guidelines it can be you know less than a minute if it's going to be something that's really tricky and it's really something new to us it could be you know, a half hour to an hour to a couple of days as we're going through and trying to figure out what you're thinking and what's going on and talking to other reviewers. Have you ever seen this idea before? 
essentially the key for uh, faster publishing is put as much information as you can in your reviewer note when you enable your cache. Um, we don't mind too much information. Typically, if we are going to turn around and disable the cache and ask for more info, well, we've just increased our workload and you've still got to provide the info, so you may as well give, do it up front. That delays our reviews and obviously a three-minute delay on 10 caches. The last one is maybe going to get reviewed the next day or the day after. The more, and we don't we don't remember what you put in the reviewer note. Like, so don't think that, oh, if I put what the container looks like or how it's hidden or where it's hidden, that we're going to remember that and go find your cache because of it. I can't remember necessarily what was on the review page five pages before. I'm already on to the next one. And these provinces are really big. I can't narrow down exactly remember where your cache was. But the more information you have, the better I understand what you're thinking. As far as the time to take, well, obviously things like multis and puzzles, they might take more because we have to read through the entire listing. So if someone has a very complex listing, we have to go through all the text. So even if it's fluffy background information, well, we've got to make sure there's nothing that's snuck in the fluffy background information. We have to go through it all. So you may just see the cache get published, load it onto your GPS and head out and just find it from coordinates. <coughs> While everything they put in there, we have to go through it. So it can be, as Allison said, from a short period of time to 30 minutes or even sometimes a few days if we have to work with a cacher on a new concept. If we encourage people to come up with new ideas that might not necessarily be immediately apparent from how they explain it, and those may take days. But for the majority, I would say over 90% under a minute. It's, we have so many fantastic tools that have been added over the years. I can't even begin to imagine what it was like for Cash Tech to have nothing. We have a, a page that, that is very similar to what a cash page looks like for you, but we have a thing that actually says schools. We click on schools, it brings up Google Maps and shows all the schools nearby the cash. We have another one that says railroad, and it will draw a 150-foot circle around the cash, superimposed on a Google Map, and we go, oh, there's train tracks there. And we've all got, you know, form letters that we just go, oh, yeah, you're too close to school. Cut, paste, post, done. But like Roy was mentioning is that just like for you guys doing a traditional, you just go to the post-it, it's there, done. Doing a multi or a mystery takes you longer. So same with us. A traditional is almost a no-brainer. Read it. If there's no proximity errors, no schools and railroads and stuff like that, no airports, hit the button, next. So what was question. it like in the back in the yes. old days? Back in the old days? <laughs> <laughs> we had the one cube. It was just one big list with everybody in it. But actually the list wouldn't be any longer than a typical list in Nova Scotia after a week. <laughs> the whole world. Uh, Google Maps? Street View? No. <laughs> Uh, Did you have satellite imagery? No. Had nothing, although Ontario, New Brunswick, parts of Nova Scotia, I, I've lived here, Quebec, I've lived here. I knew the areas for the most part. Uh, we didn't have the tools that we have for multis and that, so I'd actually have test pages in every multi point. I would put in my map and then, like I have five test pages, so i put all the multis in and then tested, and then I had an offline database for everything in GSAC. Wow. 
because nothing was recorded on the site, which is now additional wow. waypoints. Yeah. Wow. So my GSAC was huge. <laughs> it actually crashed my computer several times. Wow. That's. I mean, it's at least nice to see that Groundspeak has appreciated the work that they you guys They've put have. a lot in for tools for the reviewers than the from reviewers before. But the yeah. guidelines were also, uh, when I started, was doesn't look bad, publish it. <laughs> is, it is it buried? Yes, no. <laughs> is it buried? Yes, no. Will it look bad for geocaching? No. Let's go. Um, okay, so we're, since we're kind of talking about tools and so forth, I'm going to just jump over to a question here that I, I've always been curious about. Me and Ken have talked about it a little bit. And it has to do with how you know about the saturation rule. Because we all know that you, you can't hide a cache within 161 meters of another cache. So the question is, how do you know that? What is it, what is it that you see on your screen, or what tools do you use to determine that? It, uh, it's the same as uh, if you go find closest cache to you. And it'll tell you all the caches that are around it, although we do see the points on the map now. Okay. And uh, I don't have to say go to the closest caches now, because our page will actually have it at the bottom and have all, all the closest caches to it. So. Okay, cool. So if you were placing your own caches and you want to double check for a traditional um, saturation, so caches uh, are close to 160, make a cache page and then visit your own cache page. And then at the bottom you have a little box that says find nearest caches. Well, if you click on that, it will show you all the nearest caches to your unpublished cache. Or if they're closer than 160 meters, you know you're too close. And we just have a version of that that shows us, as Sean's saying, just the stages of multis and finals. Mm -hmm. So we can quickly tell if you are too close to a physical stage of another cache. But you have that tool yourself for traditionals right there in front of you. And actually, we even see the former locations, like if a cache was archived three years ago, we still see where that final was. We still see where the stages were. We can look and go, oh, there was a final 20 meters away. Why did that get archived? Oh, the property owner doesn't like geocachers, so we can let people know that, and that you might not want to put your cache there. Yeah. So the second that you submit a page and you get a GC code at the top of your screen, that record exists and will not be deleted. So even if you don't use that page for a cache, if you use it to hold your coins, for example, or if you use it for a work in progress, it still holds the spot of the coordinates that you chose. Mm -hmm. So it might, in the future, we might have somebody else in the listing that might bump into yours, and then we'll tap you on the shoulder and say, are you using that? And you can either move it to somewhere else, pick an ocean. <laughs> I look at it's your home coordinates, which, which we can't see, but if it looks like it's close to your home, and I see a ton of coins in it, I'll generally just ignore it and go, I'm just on I have one, how can I get rid of it? Archive it. Uh, well, I never activated it. Okay. 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 I've never tried, but it's always there. Yeah. But, but don't. I don't have my coins in it anymore. But don't. Here's another great thing you can okay. do with an unpublished cache: is that if you're solving a puzzle and you think you've come up with coordinates and there's no geo checker or, or any variation of that on it, okay. you take the coordinates that you've solved, put it into your own unpublished cache, and then you look at the show nearby caches. And if there's one that's too close, oh, I must be wrong. Yeah. Or you go look on the map, go. Yeah, that looks reasonable. I can see a cache going there. There should be a cache there. Why isn't there a cache there? I'm going to go put a cache there or find it. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I have a quick question. If I can answer. Moving our mics. I send this to Cache Tech quite often because we do the events. We do where we want to kick off event. We want all the caches to come out published at 6 o'clock on a Friday. 
Is that a huge issue, or is that really simple for you to do, or is it a pain in the butt? We don't, we don't mind. No issue that. We don't mind. We don't mind at all. It's enough of us. Just give us lots of warning. There's nothing worse. I try to go like ten days to a week with people doing it. Yeah. Three weeks. The more okay. warning yes. we have, the easier it is to work with event caches. At least give us time to knock them back if there's proximity issues and, and have you deal with them out. Uh, if you submit 20 caches on a Thursday night that you want published on a Saturday morning, there's not even a guarantee they're going to be seen in time. Yes. Uh, the more warning, the more time you submit them, the more likely they're to be seen in time and to be dealt with and, and let you know that uh, there's either no issues and yep, sure, we'll, we'll work on that. p.m. on a Friday shouldn't be a problem. 5 a.m. on a Sunday can be a bit harder. Uh, 2 a.m. on Christmas, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not reasonable. <laughs> but do you guys have to actually go back in and enable them at that time, or is it automatic? Let's just not talk about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, I have no problem with that. A lot of us, and we're all in different time zones too. So. Yeah, we have a huge global community of friends of, of reviewers, and we say, "Hey, like you know, I got a friend Iggy that, that's over in Europe. And I go, can you do this for me at when it would be ten in the morning for you?" He's like, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> no problem." Yeah, I mean, I think there's like there's 400 plus volunteers uh, with Groundspeak. I mean, and you only have like what you can count on a finger basically in this room at the moment. It's a small portion. Wow. All right, so this is a, a pretty easy one, and I, I think I know where this is going to go, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, can you publish your own cache? If you hide one of your own, can you publish your own? Or, or is that considered uh, taboo? Like, you know, logging a find on your own cache. Can you want to talk about that? That's exactly it. <laughs> I don't even know. That's exactly it. It's a case of technically, yes, we can press the button, but why would you? Because it, from our perspective, if I create a cache listing and I publish it and it's wrong... I'm going to feel like an idiot. <laughs> so it's best to have somebody else on the team look at it for you because invariably they'll point something out and mm-hmm. you'd much rather do that because at the end of the day you don't want to be the guy walking in going, ha ha, you're the reviewer that doesn't know proximity rule. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. And sometimes those proximity rules are a typo and when you make a typo, it's, it's pretty bad. There's, you know, it's a lot of fun when you can catch another reviewer doing an oops. <laughs> and if you think it doesn't happen... I have proximity to my own cat. <laughs> Sweet. Um, okay, so I, I have another one here that's uh, is an interesting idea because we've all seen it where you know we, we've published things that have or tried to have things published that have broken the guidelines. So, what do you do? You see situations where. Um, your, your opinion on where you have to deny a listing where you think the idea and the cash they have is fantastic, but it completely goes against the guidelines, so you're not allowed to. So it, it's sort of a conflict where you think it's fantastic, but they wouldn't allow it. If I think it's fantastic, and, and there are things. There's things that we have limited power. Groundspeak has a lot more power. And if it's something that... Uh, is beyond our scope and what we can do, we can go talk to Groundspeak and say, hey, can you take a look at this and, and uh, give us feedback as well and, and work on that. We don't want to deny it and not see it published. We want to see it published and sometimes it's a small edit and modification. So if it's something that's out of left field or it's something that is this far above what we feel we can publish, if we turn around to a player and say, um, I strongly recommend that you go to Grandspeak Appeals. That's a, please go to Grandspeak Appeals. <laughs> Grandspeak Appeals, they are above us. They are the ultimate. What they say goes. 
So we uh, have promised to adhere to the listing guidelines, um, but they have the ability to say, oh, I see what the cash is trying to do there, or mm, we can maybe make that much of an exception at one time. Let's try it out. So an example of that, um, a couple of years ago, we had a trial period in Ontario where you were allowed to list an event to go and find caches for 30 days. Organized group hunts were allowed. They tried them out. Ground speaks, let us do it. Time's over. We can no longer do that. By approaching Groundspeak, you've heard the, the phrase, a complaint is a gift. Well, they don't always complaints. To go to them and simply say, this is my idea. My reviewer doesn't uh, think it can be published. What do you think? Absolutely. We, we are happier to press the green button on things and publish than anything else. And if we say that we don't think it can be done, if you wish to take your claim to Groundspeak, we are more than happy to help you do that. Mm -hmm. We don't get slapped on the wrist. We actually get pats on the back for promoting the communication, the dialogue between you and the guys at Lilypad. Over the years, there have been so many things that you guys right now take for granted as the norm in caching. They, they might be fringy things, but they're still the norm, like QR codes or transmitters like chirps and, and other wireless beacons and um, fire tacks and UV lights. Like This was all stuff that back in the day they were like, no, like if you have to download a program to put on your smartphone to read something, to that's not a lot. Well, Nobody has smartphones. Nobody has smartphones, <laughs> but, you know, but as people come saying, I want to make caches that have, let's say, QR codes, that would be a redirect. For the longest while it was no, 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 oh, it's getting more, people want this, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. <laughs> or, or was it near field communicators that now, like that are just starting to come up with the iPhone 5 and whatnot, like people are going to start putting those into caches. and. Before, with the technology the way it was, they had to say no because it was kind of limiting. Too many, not enough people could do it. Well, now it's it's possible. You guys made that possible because you said we want this. We want to add this element into the game. That was you guys bringing stuff to us, and us going, yeah, you got to run that past Groundspeak. And once Groundspeak hears something enough over and over again, they go, yeah, we 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 need to revisit that. So it's good that you guys do stuff. If you accept a no from us, you're never going to get your way. <laughs> And that's where you guys change the guidelines and, and things change to the guidelines change because of new things coming out or um, us sending you guys to Groundspeak and saying, hey, let's work on this and get it done and, and changes happen. I've always been scared to get a no from you guys and you guys will start to dislike me and <laughs> blacklist me. I, no. I, I, other people may have thought that as well, not just me. We won't remember who you are. <laughs> There's a lot of geocachers out there. But I'm the only one that I know. Yeah. I'm sitting in front of my computer and I say, I don't want them to get a bad impression of me. And, and I don't know, you guys probably don't, but... Think that's no. that in the past. I'm, I'm probably wrong. And I understand that. that. I think there's a lot of times where we try to encourage a geocacher to actually go to Groundspeak with an idea or a concept. And it's like, oh no, I'm in trouble with the reviewer. They're sending me and I'm going to be denied with the bigger stick. And it's <laughs> and they don't go. And a lot of times we're like, no, we really want you to go. If we say go, trust us, go. It's not because we're like, ha ha, there's a bigger stick or something. It's, hey, you know what? There's something cool there. Go and see and, and work with them. And sometimes we're talking with them and trying to figure out where the line's drawn and how to do it and what needs to be done. So an example there is when my standard note to people encouraging them to go to appeals says, Groundspeak may be able to help you in ways that I cannot. Mm -hmm. So my player hat might think, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> my reviewer said, mm -mm, can't do that. Uh, I can see what you're trying to do. Groundspeak, if they turn around and tell me, publish that, 
happy day. Happy to do it. I've never run into that with, with Cash Tech, but he's corrected me and fixed me, and we've solved it very quickly and mm -hmm. easily. But and, I've and, never uh, had him tell me, go to appeals. Yeah, and even that. when we send you a note and people think, oh, no, I'm in trouble, I've done this, uh, like uh, the one that happens a lot, and I'll get the note back, I'm sorry, I didn't realize to do that, is if somebody writes, like, you know, hey, the best ice cream's on this store right next to the cash. You can't really pr promote the corner store Joe's ice cream, and I'll say, you know, edit that out of there, and it's commercial. And I'm not sitting there like, you know, oh, I'm going to put you on this list over here. I, <laughs> it's happened so often, and it's usually by mistake. It's Those things are not a big deal. Or proximity issues, we don't expect you to know where finals and multi-stages are. And we are fully aware that there's a lot of cashiers who find a lot of caches and forget they've been to certain areas. And we've seen it where they've put a cache in the same tree <laughs> kind of thing. And we're like... Uh, and, and once they realized, you know, we kind of giggle at someone posted on Facebook the other day, they had a, a cache that they had put out and they went back to pick up their cache because it had a proximity issue. And in the photo, it was their cache and on the branch was the tag for a multi. And these things happen. They're oopses. And, and um, one of them, I was hiding a cache and my wife was on the trail and I said, can you see it? And she says, yes, I can see it. I said, there's no way you can see it's behind the tree. She says, look at the other side. I did that. Yeah, it happens. We, we've done it too. Um, There's a beautiful I, tree. <laughs> <laughs> There's two caches. You know, it's too fine right there. Um, okay, so here's another one that I know that uh, Groundspeak attempted to address, and maybe you guys can talk about that a little bit. Uh, but one of the, I think, the biggest single question that a lot of people see on the Groundspeak forums is around virtuals. And I'm sure that uh, Cash Tech has seen his history with virtuals and, and kind of where that's gone. Um, and so the question always comes, you know, people are always saying, we want to bring virtuals back, can you bring virtuals back? And I know that uh, Groundspeak tried to do this with challenges, which, you know, obviously didn't work very well because we don't have challenges anymore. And I'm not talking about challenge caches, but um, one of the things that I've heard, and we, we've talked to a couple of other people in the podcast before about virtual caches, is the idea of, of approaching them the same way that earth caches are done. And I'm sure you have, you've heard that approach before. Um, what is your take on, on the whole virtual situation, bringing it back? Do you think it should be? And, and if it were, how would you envision that? Just yeah. out of curiosity, how many of you started caching after virtuals were grandfathered? That's the majority of the room. How many of you had submitted a virtual before they were grandfathered? How many of you remember all the virtuals that were around before they were grandfathered? Okay, just, just out of curiosity for perspective. Not many people in the room. I think one big thing with virtuals, people see them and say, oh, those are so great, why don't we have more? But the ones that are still there are usually the ones that were great. There were really a lot of crappy ones too, like lamppost caches type virtual, like that, that. It's just that those are gone, and what's left are the good ones. The thing is, ask reviewers, and I don't think you'll find many people who want to be in the position of trying to judge the quality of caches. Because in traditional caches, at minimum, you need a container with a logbook, 161 meters from every other cache, in a location that's legal to go to. Virtuals, there's no such limitation. So what criteria do you use to decide which one can be published or no not? criteria now. When we were reviewing virtuals, they were yeah. so done to the proximity guideline. But, yeah, but there was a proximity, but I mean, really, 
you don't even have to have a container, so you could decide any tree over there. Let's say I'll do virtual with every maple tree. There's no reason why you couldn't. And the thing is, when we review, if it doesn't go against a guideline, we're supposed to publish it. Is that why you started waymarking? That, <laughs> actually, I, I started doing waymarking because it was very similar to that, but it was, it was the categorization of it. But I, I'm going to do something, I'm not sure if you've done this before. I, I would like make noise to respond back, because obviously putting up your hand doesn't work in a podcast. <laughs> do you think virtuals take you to a really cool location? Yes. Yeah. 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 Now, now that I've painted you into a corner, <laughs> do you think stages of a multicache take you to a really cool location? No. Yeah. Because every virtual is basically just a stage of a multi. If you can go see something cool and collect a little bit of data to relocate to a container, that's, that's how I've always explained it to people in Ontario. You show me a virtual, I'll show you a stage of a multi. Because if it's a really cool spot, you're still going to want to go see it, but you can still find a container too. Win-win. So that's why I would rather see virtuals not really come back, but more pushed into a, or promoted as parts of, of multis, because multis are a fantastic way to do historical stuff. People keep saying, well, the reason for virtuals is because I can't put a container there. Well, yeah, but you can use the information to take someone to a container elsewhere. And one of the main draws for virtual caches is that they're rare. So they're great because you, oh, you're on a road trip, you're going to pass one, I've got to do that virtual. So what if there were one everywhere? Would yeah. you really care about doing virtuals as much? That's why you don't do waymarking. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And that's... No, you cannot. No, I never do. All right, well, that's, that, that, I mean, that, that's a great way to, uh, to answer that. So uh, I'm going to uh, chip with another one. So I think, uh, I'm sure there are people in this room that have been affected by this particular issue, which is um, one of the things in the guidelines has to do with the no precedence. So the publishing of a cache is not the precedence for a cache later on being published. And I'm sure you've been asked about this before. So. Um, I kind of like you guys to speak to a, a little bit about that, the fact that you know one day I can publish a cache. And I, the one that I, it's not even me, I know that somebody else had done a, uh, a leap year cache. It was one of the leap year challenges. You had to get the, you know, January 29th was the, the, a particular calendar year and you had to have gotten that as a fine in order to go and do this particular challenge cache. And we saw a couple of them in Moncton, a couple of them in Fredericton, and then there was a, all of a sudden one was denied. And, now, you know, this is purely through things that I have heard, so I can't speak to the specifics, but, you know, and it came back saying, well, you know, you can't do that. Well, somebody else did that. So can you kind of talk a little bit about the no precedence rule? As we were saying a minute ago, you guys have the ability to influence the guidelines and they change. We were talking about, um, like, the QR codes with phones and how the first ones were denied, but as things got warmer they were started to be published. The same happens in the reverse. Sometimes it's like, hey, that was a cool idea. Let's let this one through. And then over time, you're realizing, wait, this isn't the direction that it should be going, and it's not right, or that it's not not right, but it, it's not, uh, I can't Healthy. think of the word I'm thinking of, but that it's not going in the right direction, and things get changed. And sometimes, again, that's 
the way cashers are uh, finding or using the game and, and it changes the direction. So uh, question out to everybody, show of hands, I'll make noise. Uh, who thinks they know the listing guidelines very well? There's no hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next question is, um, when were they last updated? Because they change. They were you were at the morning one. Yeah, we had a workshop this morning, so we have a couple of ringers in the crowd. <laughs> the, the listing guidelines are revised, which means that the second that Groundspeak make them public on the website, what was allowed or what was not allowed on the day before the change could be a different decision the day after. Mm -hmm. So it all depends on when the green button is pressed for the review. So an example of that is uh, you used to be able to do things like photo caches or ALRs, additional logging requirements, those are no longer allowed. So it's a situation where you might say, but, but, but I, somebody else did it over there. Well, we, if we were to turn around and take every other listing into consideration, nothing would get published. It would be a constant backwards and forwards of what of this, what of that. But one of the other things to remember with no cash that's precedence is we're actually human. And now and again, we might not have enough coffee, as Alison often says, and one might slip through. Um, we shouldn't have to repeat <laughs> our mistakes. <laughs> and that's the other reason why no cash sets precedent. Oh, I have nothing to add to that. That's fantastic. <laughs> he agreed with me. Okay. So I was going to say, uh, like Alison said, what Joe Cash was doing through the guideline, and I think in the case of challenges, it's been major. Because, oh, challenge cashes, yeah, that sounds fun. We'll, we'll remove the allies and do the challenge. Yeah. But then people started making challenges, like, don't go caching for two months. Or, like, don't write any uh, notes. Or, don't find premium caches, and then Groundspeak went, but we don't want people to not cache and not find certain type of caches. Or, you know, like some people are like, don't find traditionals because puzzles are better. Find all the puzzles for the next for, yeah. for 30 days. So the guidelines for challenges got really tightened so that it has to be positive. You have to, you can ask people to find more of a certain type, to find caches with all letters of the alphabet, caches with hard terrain, but you can't say, but don't find any easy caches, but don't find caches with certain letters, and saying... Caches that won't restrict yeah. certain yes. activities to get the challenge. So you can't stop someone from going caching to get your challenge. You can only incite them to do more caching. Yeah, even, even ones that sound positive, you have to think about how it really flips the other way. Like, 10% of your finds have to be puzzle caches. That sounds great at first until you realize that, okay, that means I have to stop doing other ones to shore up, to add to my puzzle caches just to bring that number up. So you're telling somebody, you basically got to stop doing traditionals or you need to stop doing multis, you need to stop going to events until you yeah. get that other and it number up. works for the newbies because they're just starting and it's like, you know, 10%, hey, that's wine cash for 10, but if you've got a couple of thousand finds and suddenly you realize, I need only 500 puzzles to get near this? <laughs> and we started seeing, and all the members talked about it, we started seeing caches going up with their friends and logging the puzzles and writing their name in the traditionals by saying, well, I'll log it online in two years after I found the, the challenge. Yeah. Or the, hey, look what I did. I, I, I found a cache in, in North America and in Australia on the same day. <laughs> Everybody else can do it. <laughs> No. Okay. 
I think, uh, you know, we're, we're doing good on our time here, so it's a little after 4 o'clock. I'd like to actually open it up to the audience to see if we have any uh, audience questions that uh, anybody... So what I'd like you to do is you can just put your hand up if you have a question you'd like to ask, and we'll, uh, we'll poke you out there. All right, so if you would like to come down to the microphone over here. I can bring this one too. And, uh, yeah, well, we, we have a mic there. We'll, we'll give it a shot and see how it uh, comes out. It's on my phone. I like this question. Thank you, by the way. While he's waiting to come down, I like this question you have here about do you think anonymity is important as a reviewer? And uh, I, I do for a certain length of time. Like if it, I think any new reviewer should kind of, as we jokingly call it, stay in the closet for, <laughs> for a year. So that way they can establish themselves in the local community and, and people won't be going, oh, you're so and so. I, I know how to talk to you and get around things. I don't but, think but, so. But, but, <laughs> My my colleague here feels differently, but I think it's good to you know get a, a pattern established before people go, oh it's you, and then that way everybody knows this is how you handle things. Now Isabel has, has different. I, it might be cultural differences. I I came up <laughs> right away when I became a reviewer. It was quite here. You know, read their which catch which I didn't make any like trying to hide. I got hunted down. But I, but I did notice, I, I saw when the reviewers were anonymous, and I saw when they came out publicly, and I thought it improved things tremendously, because people saw, oh, they're humans, oh, it's that guy, and oh, I like him. <laughs> I get that a lot. It's definitely easier, <laughs> it's definitely easier when the caching community knows who it is. I think I was, I was in the closet, uh, maybe a month or two, it was nice to have that first month where I can kind of get the feel of what I'm doing without people suddenly in my ear on this side. Um, but it's, it's definitely nice when you come to an event and you're like, yes, I'm cash gear, and oh yes, I know exactly who you are and what your name is, and let's have a little conversation. I really want to know because you know, I've been publishing your caches for so long, you've been taking me to interesting places on Google Earth, and <laughs> I, I want to get to know kind of more who you are here. Okay, so for our, uh, our audience question, just uh, introduce your geocaching name, where you're from, and what your question is. Hi, I'm B-R-U-B-2. The two is just because there are two of us. We are from northeastern Pennsylvania, about an hour south of Scranton. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that, Pennsylvania is like the state on the other side of New Jersey. But anyway, uh, my question is has to do with a variation of the proximity question. Uh, is there a limit to how far apart the stages of a multi can be? Maybe it was just a rumor that there was going to be a, a limit like, uh, and there's reasonable stuff, you know, would it be reasonable to have something be a couple of miles away or several hundred miles away or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, when it comes to stages within the same listing, there is no minimum separation. You can have them 10 feet apart if you want. As long as it's within the same listing or GC code. Um, but another thing that, that you, you, I thought you were going to mention was, was the, the proximity from other caches because... Uh, it's not the question. What was the question? No, how, how far apart? Oh, how far apart for a multi. Um, 
for a multi as far as you want. I mean, if you've got stage one in Pennsylvania and you've got stage two in California and then stage two. As far as you can maintain. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yes, absolutely. You have to be able to maintain it. So, um, you know, cash maintenance guidelines apply. But yeah, we have. Um, Cashes I, I, that start in Nova Scotia take yeah. it to Newfoundland. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did one that started in Ohio and then the next stage, it was two stages in Ohio, then one in New York, and then came over to Ontario. So, I mean, it, it happens. The nice thing to do in those cases is to use the attributes and let cashers know they're in for a long multi and, and not to have them think, oh, you know, it's going to be like a 10-minute multi. Let them know they're in for a long journey or, you know, it's going to take time so that they can dedicate the time to actually enjoy it and take it all in. But the, touching on that other thing about saturation... The website does say 528 feet, which is 161 meters. That guideline, while very important to us, is flexible. I'm not sure how Sean and Holly do it, or Isabel do it, but I'm pretty flexible to go down to 500 feet. If you get to 499, you go, didn't try hard enough. <laughs> Find a new spot. Like, seriously. Down to 500 feet, yeah, okay, there's fuzzy GPS, but 499, yeah, no, find a new spot. But some reviewers... 528, that's the number. You will not go a foot below it. So, I mean, and every area is different. And some even say, you know what, like that's where power trails used to be such a thing where they say, oh no, combine that into a, a single multi. Why do you want to have this breadcrumb trail going along? Why do you want to have three caches so close together? It's, a, it's boring. But, you know, there's flexibility in, in everything. Cool. All right, do we have uh, anybody else in the audience that wants to ask a question to our reviewers? Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Come on now. Here we go, Mr. Bazinga. Coming over. Are you on your list? <laughs> I don't I, have I, my... I can't read your name tag from that. <laughs> so your uh, geocaching name, where you're from, and hit our reviewers up with your question. Uh, Beaver Connection uh, from Russia Gorge, about 10 minutes that way. Um, I travel a lot. Uh, I know Jeremy, uh, geodometer back there, he does the same thing. And sometimes there's not time to leave the airport and get a cash or go through security and make your flight. And that's where I think uh, like a virtual would be beneficial to say, go to this statue in this part of the airport, have your picture taken there, that logs you the cash. And to go along with that, uh, international dateline cash. Are people, is this something that people have brought to you before? Like, I was streaking last year and I had to go out to Australia, so I kind of fudged it a little bit and I found one. <laughs> Within 24 hours on both ends, but you know it was. You, know, you missed the day. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know I kept I kept my streak on paper going, but because of the international dateline, technically I lost one. So has anyone ever brought that to, you know, if you you know yeah. for the dateline? I don't know how you do that, but yeah, not too. We can't change the dateline. Date yeah. <laughs> um, usually get brought to Groundspeak. Any questions like that for a dateline? So you. The other question is, how would you verify it? So if you say, let's have a special kind of cache, well, how do you know that people actually went across the date line? And the same thing with the virtual is, if you want to have a rule, if only you can have virtuals in airports, or only at border crossings, or only at this or that, the listing guidelines, the reason that they are guidelines and not rules, is they apply to every country around the world. And they try and have some flexibility for local customs or cultures, if you were to start trying to do specific things, it becomes a very
But other people could say, oh, that's, you know, that's not really a geocache. She was just there. You didn't... And the idea of it being a waypoint, that doesn't work because you can't get out to find the actual container. But I, I, I hear you. And you can't find one in an airport. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. If you get permission, you can do that. That's the thing. Remember, they're guidelines. So just because it says no schools, no military bases, no airports, no provincial parks in Ontario, if you can get permission, yes, except digging. We just recently talked about that. Even with permission, digging, no. But there are caches in airports. Just really small ones with no fences. There are caches in airports up because mm -hmm. it's permission. Mountain Airport has one in the parking lot. It's in a parking meter in the parking lot on the airport property with permission. With permission. It's there. Yeah. I'm thinking like Pierce and some of the bigger ones. Yep. Yeah. You yeah. 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 go through security and it takes an hour to go both ways. Yeah, but the thing is you got to go through security, so that means you need a boarding pass. So that means you got to spend money to get the cash, and then that goes into a commercial territory. Okay. Yeah. So you have to spend money. We don't have to always be caching. <laughs> and something I wanted to say is, the one we mentioned before, but I didn't, we don't have to find them all either. No. <laughs> all right, we, uh, do we have any other audience questions at this time? Okay. We get here, guys, come yeah. down. If you have a question, you can come and pre-line up as well. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> Come on down. Da, 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 da. I'm Dita from Team Dita Carcosa from Charlottetown PEI. So thanks for this awesome mega. Uh, my question is a little bit of clarification on what you were saying a little bit earlier about uh, when you submit a cache and it's unpublished, something might happen. You might be too close to something. Um, we had recently did one six months ago where we were like too close to a cache that wasn't even there anymore, cache player's not playing, so we were given the notice, hey, try to sort that out, you know, we take that week to find that person, hunt them down, by the time we get it, boom, that spot's gone, it's gone to somebody else. That that spot was never held for us, so how does that work? Like, is there, <laughs> um, like, how does that work? Like, is there a sort of a time frame you're given so that if something like that happens, you do have the chance? To fix what you need to fix so that you can Yeah, I, the thing is, it's very hard to answer a specific question because we don't have your listing mm -hmm. in front of us right now, so I, we can't yeah, tell what I, happened. Yeah, and I don't mean specifically. I'm not worried. We ended up right. fixing them. We're all good for us personally. But typically, but if, we, if we said that you're within proximity of this and, and something's happened and it's not like there's an issue there and you talk to us or you've gone to talk to the other cashier, if your cash listing is still at that location and... Still yeah, and if you post a note on it saying, I'm going to work on this, just post a note after the reviewer sent a note to you, post a note saying, okay, I'm going to look into this or, or enable it so the reviewer sees it again. Because the other cache that was in prox or that was published might not have been uh, in proximity to the original one, maybe, and yours was seen as not being used. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But uh, typically, what would happen if there's a proximity issue? We would say there's a cache in the area. Maybe it's not published or it's published. Work this out. Um, if it hasn't been published yet, we'll say give us some time. We're going to go investigate this, and we'll investigate it and get back to you. Um, again, I don't know what happened to the case. I'll give it to Cash Check and he can answer that question <laughs> since he's your reviewer. <laughs> so 
this is, was an unmaintained camshaft in the uh, The cache was missing, uh, which missing. is fine. It's, uh, was it was it temporarily disabled, was at, it the disabled at the no, time? No, no, no. It was it, no, no, no. It was still showing up as, as being there, and but we were within say thirty feet too close, or and we got the note back saying too close. You know, can you work on that? Can we move it thirty feet? The other direction, we're like, great, we'll do that. Um, we knew that particular cache from the other cache was missing, so we were like, let's talk to them and so see if they want us to replace it. We'll, we'll move ours, you move theirs, whatever. And by the time we got it all sorted out to go back, we lost our spot because it was given to a whole other cache by a third party cacher. So my question was, is there time? Is there time to give you a to fix that? When you had moved it to, did you uh, <laughs> resubmit it and were told that you were in proximity to the other cache? The, the new one that was published? The published, the published one, we were... Uh, I think I remember that you, you had moved your cache. So we ended, ended up actually, not, what we did, we actually ended up contacting the cache owner we were too close to and helped move theirs, because theirs was actually missing. But the one that was published, how close was that? Just we were 30 feet too close. So anyway, I just my question was I'm not worried about the personal situation. Typically, typically we do try. But is there time, right? Yeah, typically so we, will, we will give you time, and we will try to hear back from you and hear back from the other cashier, and we'll get back to you. And as we've said, we do oops once in a while, and sometimes I didn't get my coffee before I reviewed it. I learned that's really bad. <laughs> cool, thanks. Okay. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. I have <laughs> a cash one that's missing. Yeah. And then I'll, what I do, don't do is I don't archive their cash otherwise. I try to let them, because they have a spot for it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then I'll try to give them, say, 30 days. I'll disable it and say, please fix your cash. You've got 30 days. Then after 30 days, and a lot of people hold me to the 30 days going, this one's not back yet. Right. And then I'll go in and I'll archive it and then I'll work with some new cash. But uh, I, I try not to, you know, Yank somebody else's cash for you have some. Like, no, and, and the spirit. question wasn't yanking the first yeah. original cash. It was that one was there published. Was, there was cash A. Our, we were cash B that was too close. And cash C was And then published. cash C came along and took the spot. Yeah. Well, that, that's so that's what our question was. Is there time to allow for you to fix it before someone else can come Typically, in and take the spot? We tried to do that. Um, it, but like I said, sometimes things happen, and because we don't know where the triangulation was between yeah. those three, um, they no. Because sometimes it, it does come down to you can't hold a spot that's not available. Right. Like if you say, "Oh, I, I know that that one's suffering, so I'm going to put a cache in 150 feet away from it and wait," and you wait three months, it's like, "Well, no, you you can't lay claim to a spot that's not available." Right. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I, again, I don't know what the whole scenario was, but if the reviewer had sent it back to you saying you're too close, if you posted a note back saying we're looking into this, that also is a note to us saying, okay, you know what, yeah. they're still kind of looking into this, trying to sort it out, and that might have bought time with Cash C, or again, maybe I didn't have my coffee, and then somebody comes after me and says, hey, Allison, you need coffee. Awesome. Okay, thank you. All right. We got another uh, audience question here. We'll uh, take you. Go ahead. Nice quick one. Lex Mizzou from Moncton. Would you classify caching as a hobby, a sport, or a game? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> How about a lifestyle? I was just going to say that. <laughs> um, I think that I look at it as a game because it is played. 
Um, however, when you have more than one player, you sometimes have a sport. So if you're on your own, you're playing a game. If you are, are comparing yourself to other people in many ways, whether it be numbers or anything else, you have made it a sport. But don't sports and games have winners? Yeah, I was no. going to say, I prefer to see yeah. it, I prefer to think of it more as a hobby. Because, I do too. Because of that, um, when people see it as a game, sometimes people say, but you're not playing the same game I am. These are my rules to the game. How come you're not playing it the same way? Or that doesn't, there become variations. It's either a game you're playing against yourself, or in my mind, it's a hobby or a lifestyle. Call it an activity. That's a, activity. Yeah. Rec- That's a if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I, I go with recreational activity. I, I don't, uh, I don't care about the numbers. Yeah, I care about my numbers. <laughs> I don't care about other people's numbers, and I'm happy for them that they like their numbers. I like my numbers. <laughs> I like my numbers. Don't care about your numbers. Don't care about your numbers. I hope they're, you're proud of your numbers, oh, but yeah. I'm not proud of your numbers. I'm, I'm indifferent. I'll support you for your numbers. I'm indifferent yeah. to my yeah. numbers, numbers, but I mean... I don't even know what my numbers are. Yeah, That's 4,000 something. Yeah. But um, getting back to your question, it's kind of like, and, and sorry if it sounds weird. It's kind of like hunting. I don't really care how many deer you killed or how many, you know, fish you brought into the boat. You went out and you did something fun. You like it. Great. I'm not competing with anybody else. None. You could be 50 fines and you're having just as much fun as somebody with 10,000. Everybody can do. And the other thing too is, and sorry to have to talk about this, but I've really moved away from this elitist that idea that Caching should be about this glorious hike through the woods, past the waterfall to the majestic peak, and stand there, and I am the king of the world when I found this logbook. Soggy logbook. Soggy logbook, yeah. Geocaching over the last 13 years has grown way beyond that. And the sooner that we realize that, you know, yes, we give favorite points to those kind of caches, but... It's just as important for the single mom pushing the stroller to lift that lamp skirt because that's all she's able to get out and do. That was That's me. great that, the, that this activity can attract the people that can just do, I can only walk 50 meters, or the other people, I need that 10-kilometer walk. And some people go, I really hate how close some caches are to parking. Don't park there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we have another, uh, Jeremy, do you have a question? And uh, then we're gonna, I'm going to ask a few that we got here. Yeah, John, I'm here from Barton. I just have one question about the archival process. What do you guys see What do you, you know, when things get disabled and never get continued to maintain? Blood in the water. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If it's if you're hit, like, if you're hitting the needs archive button, is that kind of like if you want to bring something to our attention that's been DNF'd and for a year and there's multiple DNFs or the area's been cleared cut and the tree's been chopped down or a fence has gone up and suddenly the forest is becoming a mega mall, you can hit needs archive and alert the reviewer if you're finding that the cash owner's not responding in time. In those process, usually we'll take a look at it, assess what's going on, figuring out, you know, is this needs archive hit because it was a broken pencil? If that's the case, a lot of caches are bringing your own pencil. That's not something we need to archive over. If it's something like the tree's clearly missing and the cache location is clearly gone, we will typically, uh, 
or it's been a no trespassing issue, it could be archived pretty quick. If it's something that's questionable, the containers got an issue, there's a bigger issue, we will typically, in most cases, almost 98% of the time, disable it. And we say 30 days, but reviewers 30 days are kind of relaxed because I don't know if I'm going to be at my desk in 30 days. <laughs> it might be 30, might be 40, it's usually before 50, 60. Um, and we'll go back and see if there's been any updates and then archive it. Is that something that comes back up on your list every once in a while? or is it We'll go back and, and keeps the bookmark. date it. keeps the bookmark and uh, the bookmark's actually public. Uh, public. Oh, okay. So if you um, see a cache that I put a note on, you know, if the cache has been disabled for such a length of time, or I disabled it because I've no and I, I try to do it yearly, uh, I'll download all the caches and then I'll look for multiple DNS, and then I'll look at it. And then if I determine, you know, it's not being maintained, it's not there, I'll disable it, and then it goes on my disable, I've got two disabled bookmarks now because it puts that two games. Yeah. And it's public, so you can see that list. So let's bear in mind there's a step you can do before Needs Archive too. So you have the Needs Maintenance and the Needs Archive log at your disposal. Needs Maintenance, that post a note on the page that the cash owner will get. They'll receive that in their email. That should be enough of a nudge to them to either respond, fix it, or archive it. Um, if you see multiple DNFs before or afterwards on a cache, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be archived because if 10 people went out together and they couldn't find it that one day and there's logged 10 DNFs, that doesn't mean that the person the next day checked the other side of the tree. Now when you do a needs archive, the reviewer and the player gets the note. So and I'll, I will look at it. Yeah. So and and we'll we'll try and go through the history of the cache and assess it. And you know, just because you hit the button doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen. We want to figure out what the situation is that's going on. The more detail you put in a note to us, the the more we love it. Yeah. And there are issues as well where people oops and do a needs archive accidentally. So obviously, if we were to just action every single needs archive without checking into it, it'd be a bit of a mess. One other thing about archiving is like not on the reviewer side but somewhat on the reviewer side is that archiving caches is actually good for the game because sometimes they've been out for a long time they're not seeing a lot of activity churn the spot like take your cache out voluntarily and archive it so if somebody else can say yeah you know what there was this really nice little thing I saw 50 meters on the way to your cache that I thought that would be a great spot to put a cache but I can't because yours is there so every so often, if you know, you probably lose interest in your caches as you go along. Go out, pick it up, and say, "Hey, spots available again." Because if that doesn't happen, we're gonna run out of spots to put caches, and then we're gonna go, "I'm bored." <gasps> but one thing I think is important is if you see a problem, log it. If you just say, "Oh, I can't find the cache," if if no one logs any maintenance, if no one logs their DNFs, no one ever contacts a reviewer when they see something bad, we're not going to go check all the caches. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be shy to email me directly if yeah. you feel there might be reprisal from the cache owner that has happened in the past. Or, you know, from the community because we went and say, archive this important historic cache in the area. And then everybody piles on you. But don't let the reviewer know, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. Uh, feel free to email me directly. I'm sure that every one of us has gone to a cache and found it been in rough condition. And then you read the logs and go, oh, if I'd known. That's why logging a needs archive or needs maintenance is important. 
And if, if you aren't comfortable with that, like Sean said, contact the reviewer that published it. It's easy to find by scrolling all the way to the bottom of the logs and there'll be this little green circle that says who published it. And if that one's not active, look for who published ones nearby. Because you may, on a rare case, stumble across one from Cash Advance from 10 years ago. Yeah. But even still, no cash lives no forever. Yeah, no <laughs> right, no published logs. What if you email a reviewer and it's not our area or something like that, we will typically forward it on to the, the reviewer who is doing that job or in that area or something. We, will help, we, we work to help you. Because I, I think we would agree that the old caches, the ones that are like, you know, eight or more years old, those are the ones that are, are classics, legendary, the ones you want to keep. Ones that are like under five years or six years old, I'm sorry, they're, they're not that important to the community to keep them going forever and ever and ever. You don't want that lamppost one, Kevin? <laughs> no. There's nothing lamppost just away from it. <laughs> Okay, I have a question here that uh, I wrote down, which I thought would be kind of interesting to ask, um, and it's just it's just because I think it would be interesting to see uh, yourself from another perspective. And I'll read the question as it's written. It says, "Have you ever had one of your own caches denied by another reviewer, despite the fact that you, as a reviewer, feel it would be published if you had submitted it?" So has that ever happened? And uh, so I'd like to kind of talk about it. I'm kind of getting a sense that this is happening over here. So uh, if you want to talk about it a little bit. Oh, I'm going to go one better. I, I, uh, I had one of my fellow reviewers publish one of my caches. Some locals got a little upset about it, contacted Groundspeak. Groundspeak retracted it and told me that I should have known better that that was really inappropriate. So, yeah, it happens. I mean, <laughs> To have a listing retracted is worse than having it archived because it basically not only says no, that was wrong, but we're going to erase that from history. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I've submitted a cache since I became a reviewer. And I think the caches that I had submitted were pretty good, so this was not my problem. <laughs> One of the problems when you do submit a listing after becoming a reviewer is you hold yourself a little higher. And your wanting, friends, and if, yeah, you got you're actually tougher in yourself. Yeah. It's so, better off. You're better off not to truly know us because yeah, once you know us, right. the bar for you is. <laughs> um, I've had a couple who've been kicked back by actually not you, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so in turn I kick back his um, because you get to the point where, well, you could interpret that this way or this way, but I don't want to be seen as giving you leeway because of who you are. Yeah. So I'm going to go that way and say no. So it happens more often because we, we make it happen. I have a quick question now. When someone submits a cache for review, does your computer go ding? Or do you, have, <laughs> do you go look for them when you're ready? When we're ready. When we're ready. Yeah, I, if it went ding, I would probably move away from my computer. <laughs> I would probably never go on my computer again. Yeah, um, yeah it's when we're ready. And there's, the, I mean, we have lives outside of geocaching. I've got two, I started geocaching when my youngest was uh, under a year old, and he's now nine. And between jobs and families and vacations and uh, other hobbies, sometimes it's not as much time as you want one week and so it might take a little bit longer to get through and then other times it's like oh I can you know sit there for a couple of hours and get a bunch of stuff done and on that topic social media is a wonderful thing 
we don't care what you guys put up on social media. It doesn't speed up the process. You can't band your friends together to change opinion. It has to think of geocaching as the geocaching social media site. So going off to oh, Faceplace or MyBook and whatnot. <laughs> you can complain about or say, you know, I think this is really cool, or hey, let's all go out and get, and unless you work with the reviewers on the listings, on the pages, it doesn't happen, because if we see it there, we have to ignore it, because it wasn't really brought to our attention. Um, I'm sure that this doesn't happen in the Maritimes, because, and I'm not saying this to suck up, but everybody here has been so wonderfully polite and pleasant <laughs> compared to what we experienced back in Ontario. That <laughs> Yeah, you guys uh, are really nice. <laughs> and, and not to say, I mean, it, do you guys have like social media groups set to put together where you all share stuff on? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, I mean, I think for some of the cities, there's a, there's like a, I know the Fredericton Facebook group is really, really active. There's a St. John one, there's a New Brunswick Geocaching community, and then there's Cash Up itself, so not social media, but people okay. are on there. So there's, there is some interaction outside of the, because I don't think most, People that I know don't spend much time on the geocaching forums because that's kind of right. waste. Oh yeah, <laughs> you get blamed. Like, like nice to check locally. But yes, on the flip side of that, you know, if you're on the Fredericton Facebook group and you're saying, "Hey, this one cash here, and there's this problem with it," and blah blah, blah that, we're that, never going to see it. We're never yeah. going to see it. It's yeah. not, it, and you're also, it's not helping the community. You have to be part of that little click, yeah, or clique, or however that word is said, <laughs> that that is in the know about it. There are times where I will sit and I'll hover over the disable button on a cache and then I'll press it and I'll go to Facebook and I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, up it pops and then someone goes... <laughs> and then five likes appear. And then somebody else cross-posts it to another regional group saying, you see the problem they have with this? And I just wait. <laughs> Those are, those are fun evenings. <laughs> okay, uh, we're, we're kind of winding down here because I know they're going to do uh, some presentations and stuff around 5 o'clock. So I'm, uh, I'm going to ask one other final question. We'll open it up for a few more from the floor and then we'll wrap up. So uh, this, is, this is kind of a nice uh, question I hope for you guys, uh, which will be the last one from my list, which is what are the favorite caches you guys like to review? What's the stuff that you look at and you go, man, that is just awesome? Like, do you have any ones that stick out in your mind specifically that you've either had to publish or maybe even you've gone to find yourself? Uh, you know, talking about the, the, the stuff that you would label as a favorite if you had the opportunity to. For me, I do a lot of genealogy research. I love caches that have history written on the page and have uh, bring the area alive through uh, generations and talk about how what the area used to be like, what it's like. Um, it's not specifically puzzles or multis or traditionals, um, but something that really connects to the area. And I'm going, wow, you know what? That's really cool. I want to know more about that. I, I want to go visit that cache. And I have a list that I, as I'm publishing, I almost write a list of, yeah, I got to go do that one. I got to go do this one. Um, but I like, I like the historical ones. Um, when I was listing caches um, as a player, I used to love to do puzzles. And the more twisted, the better. So I do enjoy reviewing puzzle caches. Because part of the process of going through, trying to work out how the cacher was thinking when they came up with this, and then sometimes what were they thinking when they came up with this? <laughs> um, it's the, the difference between that's a smart way to hide those numbers and I cannot read your mind, how will anybody else? So I enjoy those, and I actually enjoy reviewing challenge caches. Um, 
because it's a challenge. Uh, a lot of the times people have a different opinion of what a geocaching accomplishment is, which is what's needed for a challenge cache, and uh, I actually enjoy discussing it with them. <laughs> uh, like uh, Cash Out beside me, I, I really enjoy reviewing challenge caches. It's just, it, it's that added level of, of icing on the cake that, that makes it a little bit more appealing. Maybe it's because of how many caches I've, I've done, but it's like, I like to see people having a goal to work towards. Finding a cache is fun. Finding a certain subset of caches makes it even better. And I also like reviewing series caches. At least that's what I call them back our way, where you have like 10 caches where you pick up a code or a puzzle that, or a piece of the puzzle that gives you the solution to the, the bonus cache at the end. The thing I like more with those is when people say, I'm going to do a slow release on those as opposed to I want all 12 of them published at the same time. I like to see like one and then three days later another one and then a week after that another Because that builds anticipation. The idea of putting out 12 on the same rail trail and then everybody goes, ah, let's go make a day of it. Eh, that's nice once in a while, but the when's the next one coming? When's the next one after that coming? It's been two months since the last one. When's it coming? Oh, the new one's out! That's exciting to me. In those cases, though, those it's a good time to run the bonus cache through the first time because there's nothing worse than setting up a series like that with a bonus cache and then you submit the bonus cache and it doesn't work and you have to go rejig re all the other pieces. Do the bonus one first. You can, you can hold it and save it for later, but do it first so you're not in trouble later. Guess what's going to happen now? <laughs> I'll be doing that. <laughs> I like review. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think my favorite is, I, I guess, old fashioned. I do like the cash that brings you to a nice place. And I like when the cash page has some kind of a short text about, about the place. Not like, oh, I wrote a text about the Montreal Canadiens for cash and deck of all. No, it, uh, Something that tells me where you're taking me, why, what's interesting about this place. I, do I, I don't care if it's written in French or English. I do enjoy when it's written with somewhat understandable <laughs> grammar and syntax. I'm going to a picture of the place because I won't get to go see it myself. So it's nice on their picture. Um, and I also really enjoy bike trails, caches, because, well, First, they're easy to review, usually there's no proximity problem. But I really like a nice bike trail with a cache every kilometer. You know, it's going to take people on a nice ride, a nice day. It's, it's not like a get in the car and get up, get in the car and get up. You're outdoors, you're enjoying, uh, enjoying yourself, and to me, that's really one of the best ways to be caching. There's not much I can add. I used to do a lot of puzzles. I don't anymore just because my puzzle solved list is almost 150 that I've got to go find. <laughs> and I keep solving them and uh, they're on my to-do list. Um, and by the time you get there, they've been archived. Archived, or better yet, yeah. moved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you have to remember how you solved it in the first place. Do you really have to solve them? I solved yes. them. Yes. Yes. I know it's just a traditional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do enjoy caches that take me to places, a small hike. Um, the cache page has the history of the place. Uh, on the way here, we um, stopped for a cache uh, on an old CP 
Uh, passenger car. And uh, I love that because I'm a rail fan. So cash is at taking places and tell me the history of the area. And, and not, like she said, something about, you know, something else uh, that has nothing to do with the area. All right, um, we, I'm gonna, uh, I think we're going to wind this down. Um, so what I'm going to do is uh, we will take one more question from the audience. Is there anybody else that has a question for these uh, lovely reviewers of ours? All right, well, if that's the case, so uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, just a couple of little quick things back to our uh, regular agenda that we do. Uh, just a few things to make note of. There is the Mega Brunch that's going on tomorrow. Um, there's the Take a Ride event that's happening in St. John, and the typical breakfast for anybody here that's not from the New Brunswick area. New Brunswick is well known for its breakfast events that go on in Moncton, Fredericton, St. John, and sometimes St. Stephen every single month. So if you are from the region and you didn't know that, well then you can definitely attend a breakfast somewhere. There's always breakfast going on. Uh, I was disappointed that the meal was not a breakfast here. I thought that would be a great idea, but that's okay. Um, uh, and just to, to sort of finish off, I would really like to extend a big, big thank you to our review panel for taking the time to talk to us today. I think everybody here should give them a big round. Okay, so I think they're going to be doing uh, some presentations here around 5 o'clock. Uh, make sure, as I mentioned in my other sessions, if you have not signed the physical log, please make sure you sign the log for the mega event. And I'm not talking about the actual box, you know, or the, the, the ammo can. There's actually a paper log. Make sure you sign that. And uh, once again, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out. And hope you enjoyed the uh, mega edition of the Catcher's Corner podcast.